Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for an opportunity that we have to get into it together. We pray that it would uh, fall on open hearts and open ears. Uh, Help us to see what it is that you're trying to say to us today through your word. And uh, Father, may it be your word and nothing more and nothing less. Thank you for this church. Thank you for everyone here. And we pray that you would meet us here, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So, there's a form of acting called method acting. And these actors take their roles fairly seriously. One of the more famous method actors is Daniel Day-Lewis. When he was Abraham Lincoln in the movie Lincoln, he actually went around 24-7 as Abraham Lincoln. He took his costume with him. He wore it everywhere he went. The people on the set had to refer to him as Mr. President. They had to treat him as if he was Abraham Lincoln because he wanted to understand his character. He wanted to understand, what is my motivation? And as we get to this part of James, that's kind of where we're at. James has spent three chapters telling us about things that we should do. He's been telling us about how we should live our life. He's been telling us that our faith without deeds are dead. He says you have to put something to your faith. You can't just go around claiming that you're a Christian. There needs to be something that backs it up. There needs to be action that backs it up. He's mentioned things like taking care of widows and orphans. He's mentioned things about when people come into church, don't tell people who dress nicely to go one place and people who don't dress nicely to go the other. Don't show partiality. You just welcome people as they are. Last week we talked about how we need to make sure that we keep track of what we say, that we need to think about it because our words carry a lot of weight. But James is kind of pumping the brakes for a second to remind us, though, that it's not just about doing things. It's about having the right motivation to do it. James says in verse 13, chapter 3, he says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. James says, okay, we've been talking about wisdom, we've been talking about wise living, so which one of you fits this? He says, the one who fits this does this. It lives a good life. So you're doing all these things that we've been talking about. But secondly, it's done in humility. You're not in it for selfish gain. You're not in it for any other reason. You're simply doing it out of the outpouring of your faith. So what's your motivation? James quickly wants to define what humility is. He says in verse 14, If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. He says, listen, if you're going to do these things, and yet what is driving you is your envy of someone or something, or you just want to do things for yourself, I need to tell you something, that's not wisdom. It's not. It may look good, but it's not wisdom. Think about the two phrases he uses, bitter envy, selfish ambition. This is the very definition of what is not humble. Envy is doing something to get what someone else has. We're motivated by seeing that someone else has gotten accolades for serving, and so we want to serve to get those similar accolades. We want to do the things so that we get the praise and adoration that other people are getting because they are doing things, they are serving, they are giving money. These are the people who make sure that they give simply to be like someone else, to have what someone else has. 
The second part was selfish ambition. That's where you do something to make others wish that they were you. So instead of going and serving selflessly, we go and serve so that we can come back and tell people about how great we were that we went and served somewhere. We go and we serve someone and make sure that there's a very lengthy Facebook post highlighting all the things that we did. It's not the way it works. We are not to harbor envy. We're not to harbor selfish ambition. Why? He continues in verse 15. Such, such wisdom does not come from heaven, but it's earthly, un- unspiritual, and demonic. In other words, you don't have to work very hard to be envious of someone or selfish. It kind of just comes naturally. He said, if this is the wisdom that you have, that you do things because you want to be like someone else, or you do things because you want yourself lifted up on this pedestal, you need to understand a few things. First, it's earthly. Right? You are just acting like everyone else. Your motivation is just like everyone else's motivation. It's not pure. It's not anything. It's simply selfish. It's simply envious. So it's earthly. The second thing is it's unspiritual. You don't have to know God to be envious of someone. You don't have to know God to be selfish. There's nothing spiritual about those two things. Those are purely worldly. And then he drops kind of a a big word here. He says demonic. He says these things are demonic. You may be doing all the right things, but if you're not doing it for the right reasons... It is earthly, it is unspiritual, it is demonic. Why is it demonic? Well, he continues in verse 16. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. I was trying to think of a movie that fits this, and I'm sure there's a thousand of them, but the only one that I could think of was National Treasure. How many of you have seen that movie? National Treasure, Nicolas Cage plays someone who's crazy, so he's perfect for it. And so he goes around, and he's looking for treasures. It's hidden around the United States. He's looking to find this, this, this treasure. And when he gets there, as it often is in treasure movies, it is more than he ever could fathom. It's just this gigantic room full of gold and artifacts and everything like that. Think about how cool that would be and then do the opposite of it. And that's what we do when we find that we are motivated by selfish ambition and envy. Because the truth of the matter is every sin that you and I commit come from one of those two. Every one of them. We're envious of what someone else has, so we act upon that. Or we are so prideful that we want to build ourselves up, and so we do things to make ourselves look good. Every sin is one of those two. It's because we're envious. It's because we have selfish ambition. Think about it. Genesis 3. The servant says, You can be like God, envy, and live forever. Selfish ambition. Everything works like that. And so if what we are doing is simply doing good works so that we can check them off our bucket list, so the preacher will get off our back, so we get community service hours, so we look like so-and-so who went to serve these people. When we do that, here's the thing, we may fool some people. We may fool people into thinking that we're there out of genuine love for them. But eventually, they'll find out. Eventually, they'll find out. And we may think that because people are fooled, God is fooled. 
And I hate to tell you this morning, but God's not. God knows. God knows why you do what you do. He knows that you just serve those in your community for community service hours. He knows that you're nice to that person because you know you're going to ask them to move you in a week. He knows. He knows. And so the question is, how do we have the, a wise heart? How does everything that we do flow from a place that is good and that is inside of us? Because wise hearts are what lead us to do right things with the right motivation. It starts on the inside. Jesus says that we do evil out of the evil things that are in our hearts. We do good out of the good things stored up in our hearts. So how do we make sure that our motivation is good, it is pure, and it is what God wants? Well, James gives us a list. And my challenge for you this week is to pray for just one of these things that happen for you. Just one. It's a long list. We're going to go through it item by item. Pray for just one of them. James says in chapter 3, verse 17, But wisdom that comes from, the heaven, from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Notice what he said. Do you remember the phrase that he used for selfish ambition and envy? He said it was what? Earthly. And so he says, we should be focused on the wisdom that comes from what? Heaven. Which means what? That we can't do it by ourselves. Right? We can't manufacture this on our own. We cannot fill any of these by ourselves. Because we are broken, because we're sinful. And despite our best efforts, we will never be anything other than that. But if we ask God for His wisdom, then we know that that is the source that we need to tap into. That's the source that we need to be motivated by. And so let's just take a look at these words one by one as we go through. The first thing is, he says that this wisdom that comes from heaven, it's pure. And so when we have a pure heart, it means that we have a wisdom with no ulterior motives. We help people because we want to help people. We serve because we want to serve. And for no other reason. It's not an IOU. right? It's not we're going to go serve so that in two months when we need them to do a similar thing, we can come calling. No, we just serve. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. You know, it's funny. See someone who goes on a mission trip. See someone who serves. The one who's doing it out of a pure heart is going to come back and tell you how much they saw God. And the one who's doing it out of another motivation is going to come back and tell you how hard it was. They're going to talk about all the work. They're going to talk about everything because they want you to tell them how great they are for going. But the people who went with a pure heart, they come back and say, you know what, I saw God in this orphan that we were working with in this orphanage. I saw God in this interaction I had with this homeless man. It's about God. It's not about us. And so purity, that's the first part. The second part is peace-loving. That's a wisdom where both sides win instead of just one. We live in a world of right versus wrong, one opinion versus another. And we need to make sure that even if someone is right and someone is wrong, the person who is wrong still feels peace when that's resolved. And that's hard. 
But that's what we're called to do. We're supposed to love peace. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. That's why James finishes this section by saying that peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. The world has enough war. It has enough anger. It has enough people spouting off hate with every word that they say. We don't need any more of that. We need peace. And as Christians, we bring that peace with us. We're all too familiar with how to make war. We need to learn how to make peace. And so if our motivation is that we want to bring peace into people's lives, then we're on the right track. The third thing he says is we need to be considerate. And that's a wisdom that thinks of others. Philippians 2, Paul says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. This is as simple as asking, how does this affect someone else? And we like to think that we think of someone else, but we usually think in hindsight. Like, I hope that didn't offend so-and-so. Instead of thinking, will this offend so-and-so before we do it? That's the way we're wired. That's the way we do it because we act out of impulse. We're doing damage control instead of being preventive. Being considerate means how does this affect someone? My motivation is that I want something good to happen to you. And this next one goes with it. It's being submissive. It's a wisdom that puts others above ourselves. So if being considerate is this conceptional what is good for others, being submissive is actually doing what's good for others. Okay? Too often, we stop at step one. How will this affect someone else? We have the answer, and then we realize that we really don't care, and we do whatever we want. That's how it works. How is this going to affect someone else? Well, it's going to offend them. Well, they just need to grow up. Like, that's how, that's how we work, right? It's their fault that they are offended by my really, really rude comment. Like, it's completely their fault. We need to make sure that we're considering what's good for others and then do what's good for others. Paul continues in this chapter that we were reading in Philippians. He says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross." Paul says, if you think you've got everything figured out, if you think you are entitled, consider Jesus. Consider the Creator of the world. Consider God Himself. And consider the fact that He left that throne to live in a womb. Like, we kind of like to think that it just happened like Jesus came from heaven to the manger. No! Mary was pregnant, which means the creator of the universe had to confine himself in a womb. And then when he was born, he didn't open his eyes to see the palace. He saw a donkey. He saw that he was not wrapped in beautiful linens. It was straw. And then he grew up. Instead of having a silver spoon in his mouth, he's making wood furniture. And then when he finally gets to the point where he's going around telling people who he is, he does nothing that he deserves. 
He doesn't seek anything that he deserves. And even in the end, when he deserved to say, you know what? Sorry, you're out of luck. He said, no, I'll die on a cross. You see, Jesus was considerate. He said, wow, they're messed up. At just the right time, while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. But he didn't just leave it as this conceptional thing that, wow, someone should really do something about that. He did it. You see, Jesus is our example of being submissive. We do things because we are thinking of others more than we are thinking of ourselves. We are doing things because we want to make sure that they know that they're loved. Why? Not because we particularly like to, probably. Or if we had our choice, we would particularly want to. But because Jesus probably didn't like to or want to, but he did. And so we do that to show people Jesus. And so how do we do it? Well, we do it because Jesus' motivation is our motivation. We are full of mercy. And that means that we have a wisdom that understands that we are forgiven in order to forgive. Nothing that God has given you, nothing, was ever meant for you alone. Nothing. Forgiveness, grace, resources, nothing that God has given us was ever meant for us to keep. And so we are full of mercy so that we can overflow into the lives of others. Going back to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. We receive mercy, and then we pass that on to others. We, that is our motivation. Do they deserve it? The answer is probably no, but neither did we, and Jesus still did it. So we, being full of the mercy, the grace that God has given us, then extend grace to the world that's around us. We're motivated by the fact that we're all sinners and yet Jesus still loves us. James says that we're motivated, that this wisdom is full of mercy and he says it's full of good fruit. This is a wisdom that is pleasing to those who experience it. Now, uh, hey, Larry voice. Um, so there's this game. It's called Being Boozled. Does anyone know what this is? It's terrible. All right. So what this game is, is they have these jelly beans. And these jelly beans are a specific color. Within, not all of them, but within this, there are all these different colors, and they all look the same, except for one big difference. So this green one, it could be lime, or lime, yeah. Lime's pretty good. Or it could taste like lawn clippings. This, this, this brown one here, it could taste like chocolate pudding, or it could taste like dog food. But the problem is, you don't know, because on the outside, they look the same. So, my wife baked you a cake last night, so you have to do this. Uh, wife, all right, let's see. All right, so you're going to get one that looks like that. It is either a buttered popcorn or it's a rotten egg. Okay? You can, no, you're going to go at the same time. You promised me you all would not throw it. Please do not throw it. All right, so go around. Okay, this one's interesting. It is either tutti frutti, which is nice, or stinky socks. It's one of those two. All right, let's see if you got it right. All right, let's go. One, two, three, go. Oh, that's wrong. It's wrong. 
All right, go ahead. Thank you all. Go spit it out. That was worth coming here this morning, wasn't it? It was. Hey, if you want to participate later, they're right up here. Hey, they look exactly the same. They do. They look exactly the same. That's what the game is. You have no idea what you're tasting until you bite into it. And here's the truth. People can serve alongside of each other. And on the outside, it doesn't look like there's any difference. But one's there for a good reason. One there's for a bad reason. And the damaging thing is, eventually that bad reason is going to come out. Eventually someone's going to taste what a Christian is all about. And when it's just... He's coming back. And when it's just their selfish ambition, when it's just that they're doing it out of envy, then it's going to leave a bad taste in their mouth. It's funny when it's a jelly bean. It's not funny when it's someone's salvation. It's not funny when someone's turned away from church because we're there for a reason that's not good. We choose our words carefully. Why? Because we want when our words are spoken it to be sweet and have some substance to it. We watch what we do. Why? Because we want when people experience it for it to be sweet and have a substance to it. We don't want to haphazardly do things. We want to make sure that it's good fruit. We want to make sure that we are creating something that people actually want. The next thing that James says is, he said that this wisdom is impartial. This means that this is a wisdom that sees everyone as equal and it only takes side when it's God versus Satan. We talked about this a few weeks ago. We need to believe that God created everyone for a purpose. And once we see people as that and that only, it changes everything. All of a sudden, you don't see their sin, you don't see their background, you don't see the choices that they're making. You see people for the way God sees them, who is, and that is that God created them in His image for His purpose. Impartiality means that we see the same thing. We don't see what you've done. We don't see what you look like. We don't see who your family is. We don't see whatever. We don't pick and choose who we serve. We just serve no matter who they are. Ephesians 6, Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. And so many of us so desperately want to stop that verse right there. Because that makes us a warrior. That gives us free reign to go and cut whoever we cut because we're putting on the armor of God. And yet Paul continues, he says, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, and against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Paul says, you put on your full armor of God because the battle that you are in is the same battle that God's in. God's not against people. God's against Satan, and you are too. He said, you don't go around cutting sinners. You go around trying to cut up sin. You don't go and try to take prisoners. You go and try to set free. But in order to do that, we have to be impartial because our mind wants to look at people and disqualify them from serving us serving them. Jesus looks at them and says, won't someone please go? 
We have to be impartial. And what ties us all together is this last word that he uses, sincere. This is a wisdom that does all of these things because we love God, we love people, and for no other reason. No strings attached. Why do we go take care of widows and orphans in their distress? Because we love God and we love people. Why do we not show favoritism? It's because we love God and we love people. Why do we watch what we say and what we post on Facebook? It's because we love God and we love people. No strings attached. I don't want you to tell, you, to tell me how great of a Christian I am. I don't want you to think that I'm trying to be like someone else. I want you that if you sink your teeth into what I'm doing, you taste the goodness of God. That's it. We want to be sincere. Remember at the beginning, I said this challenge this week is to just pray for one of these. And this is why I said that. It's because that's a lot to do. It's a lot to do. But if you read those words very carefully, if you do one, you're probably doing them all. Right? If, if you pray for purity, that your motives are pure, then you're probably going to want to make peace. If you pray for, to be considerate, then you're probably going to be submissive. If you pray to be full of mercy, then you're probably going to be full of good fruit. If you pray to be impartial, then you're going to be sincere. They all kind of work together. That's why we have to, but we have to understand that this takes work. James says we naturally are envious and selfish. Naturally, that's what we are. It's going to take work not to be that way. My parents used to tell me, doing the right thing the right way is hard to do, but it's always worth it. And I think that's true. Doing the right thing, chances are it's hard to do. It's not the easiest, it's not the, small, uh, the, the lowest branch. It's hard. But it's always worth it. Every time. Because here's the truth. We have a lot of people who have tasted a lot of bad fruit. We have a world full of trust issues. Chances are, if you've gone on a mission trip, or if you have done something selflessly, you have been asked this question. Why are you doing this? And the reason they're asking that question is because they know someone who did the same thing but their motive wasn't pure. Because they've been burned by someone whose motive wasn't pure. And they've learned not to trust because they don't like what bad motivation tastes like. Folks, we have the bread of life that is Jesus. Every week we come here and we remember that. The body that was broken for us, the blood that was shed for us. We have uh, water that fills you to the point that you'll never thirst again. That's good. So let's not get in the way. Because trust me, what you can provide for them pales in comparison to what Jesus can. Even in your best day and your best attention, what you can give them isn't close to what Jesus can. And so this week we pray that we are willing to work hard to do the right thing. That's our prayer. We want to be willing to work hard to do the right thing. We're going to pick out one of these together this morning. Turn back in your Bibles 
to James 3.17. Pick one of them out. I'm going to give you a couple of seconds. Pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, sincere. Pick one. And then we're just going to pray for it. It's not that I don't trust you to do it at home. It's just that I don't trust you to do it at home. So we're going to do it here. (laughs) And we're going to pray for one of them. Not all of them. Just one. So let's pray. Father, your word tells us that you are eager to give us gifts from you. And as we've learned today, that these are things that we can't create on our own, things that we can't uh, do on our own. These are only things that we can get from you. And so, Father, with open arms, we receive those this morning. Father, for those who pray for purity, I pray that you would help them have no ulterior motives. For those who prayed for to be a peace loving spirit that you would help them to find ways to bring peace and conflict. Father, for those who prayed to be considerate, we pray that you would show them the needs of others. For those who prayed to be submissive, we pray that they would put others above themselves in what they do this week. Father, for those who prayed to be full of mercy, help them to be reminded that they have been given mercy in full and they don't have to create it themselves, they just let it flow from you. Father, for those who prayed for good fruit, we pray that our lives would just exhibit things that are appealing and satisfying and sustaining. Father, for those who prayed for impartiality, and and I know this one might be a tough one for a lot of us, we pray that you would give us your eyes, help us to see people as you see them, love them as you love them, treat them as you would treat them. Father, for those who prayed for sincerity, we pray that everything that we would do would be because we love you, because out of that love for you, you, we love others. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.